Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. I'm your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories and give you a behind-the-scenes look at the life of a technology reporter. We'll learn about the person behind the byline and get their thoughts on the top trending stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Hey everyone, I am here with Karen Esper Hoffman. Um, Karen is an information security and financial technology writer. Um, she writes for trades, um, and we're going to get to know a little bit more about her and learn about her background and how she got her start and some of the interesting topics that she's covering. So thanks, Karen, for um, joining me this morning. Thank you. Awesome. We're excited to talk to you. I know we've worked with you for a while and excited to, uh, for our listeners to hear more about you. Um, so let's start with a quick overview of, I guess let's start with um, some of the publications that you write for, start sort of your background, your audience, and then we'll go from there. Great. Well, so um, I largely write uh, for an executive or professional audience uh, writing for trades. Um, so on the banking um the banking and financial side, I write pretty regularly, at least once a month, for Independent Banker, which is put out by ICBA. Uh, I've written in the past for uh, BAI's Banking Strategies. Uh, I write a little bit for ABA Banking Journal. Um, you know, uh, just a variety of different banking publications. I do some uh, work. Um, as an analyst and corporate marketing writer for a few consultancies that work with uh, financial. And on the information security or cybersecurity side, I write pretty regularly for SC Magazine. Uh, I've written for um, uh, a number of other publications there. Uh, the Parallax, which actually is one of the few publications that is a consumer audience, but it's also mm -hmm. read by some professionals in the industry um, and a number of uh, publications there. And then, um, oh, also uh, CSO Online. Yeah. The, the, the list kind of keeps growing. <laughs> but, um, That's good. But mostly uh, for an executive audience. Sure. Awesome. And then, so how did you kind of get your start um, writing on these topics and then find your way into this role where you contribute to a number of publications? Well, interestingly, right after I graduated from college in the early 90s, I feel like I'm showing my age, but right <laughs> after I graduated, I was living in New York City, and um, I got a job with the American Banker newspaper, which uh, is the oldest publication covering banking in the United States. Uh, and long story short, they put me on the technology beat because I know this is hard to believe nowadays, but nobody really wanted the technology beat. Oh, uh, I was a newbie reporter and, uh, you know, people were like, what is this? They didn't even call it because uh, in 1993, the internet wasn't mainstream, so right. people were talking about home banking, that's what we called it, um, as if it was this kind of weird, people might do it through interactive television um, kind of thing. Uh, you know, Citibank at the time, I know this is hard to wrap your brain around if you've grown up with the Internet, but truly, uh, Citibank had this, like, $250 million project with 
uh, screen phones. They weren't smartphones. They were, you know, landline phones that you were going to do banking through in your home on a landline. It, it was just wow. it was a very kind of quirky time. And, uh, you know, every all the... Uh, legit long-term writers at the banker really wanted to be writing about Washington and legislation and uh, capital markets. And so, you know, I was a newbie who got stuck on technology, and I just kind of threw myself into it. And uh, in addition to writing about core banking and ATM technology and a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff that had been perpetuating at that time, um, you know, I really got into this internet banking, and I remember trying to convince my editors, uh, this is going to be a big thing, <laughs> you know, this is going to be huge, and um, they're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's nice, that's nice, uh, so uh, so I, I did that for about uh, three years, and then in um, 96, I got recruited by Forrester Research, which uh, is, you know, an um, research and analysis firm out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, they had been doing corporate uh, re- IT research, you know, uh, how companies were using technology, and they were just starting to launch their consumer research practices, uh, which at the time were things like people and technology, money and technology, entertainment and technology. And believe it or not, in 1996, there were very few people who had written about banking and technology or investments in technology. So they recruited me, and I did that for a couple of years, and uh, a few years. And then, uh, long story short, uh, I worked independently for a while, and uh, when I got pregnant with my son, probably, a, you know, an old story, but true for me, <laughs> uh, I decided I kind of wanted to mommy track it, you know, 19 years ago, um, a little more than 19 years ago, uh, I had my first son, and I decided I, I, I wanted to keep working, I wanted him to have my hand in the game, I love my work, but I really wanted to be home with him. Sure, yeah. So uh, so I started working independently around 2000, and I haven't looked back. Uh, I I guess I always thought I would go back to, you know, working for a publication full-time, but it just has not availed itself, and I have two teenage sons and uh and three dogs and a very patient cat who are my office mates <laughs> and uh a and patient I love it. And, cat <laughs> uh, yeah very patient cat it keeps the dogs in line trust me that's good um, that's a good thing <laughs> but uh but anyway so uh and and uh you know I started my career I would say in in the er, the late 90s early 2000s I was writing largely about financial technology got into writing more about information security because it was such a an important issue for banks, large banks, small banks, um, and now I would say probably the majority of what I write about is information security, not just for banks, mm-hmm. healthcare, et cetera, right. because it's become such a, a pertinent, hot issue. Um, and, and I find it a fascinating issue in, in any industry. It is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so, yeah, that's that's really fascinating. I love how you got your start and how you've been really writing on the tech beat to some extent, you know, at least with banking since 93. That's really cool. So looking at yeah. from um, 93 to, to now in 2019, like so much has changed and evolved, especially when it comes to financial services technology. How yeah. have you how have you sort of seen that evolution take place firsthand? It's it's blown my mind. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I could accurately put into words how 
I could not have predicted. It, it's funny. I'm, I'm a sci-fi nerd, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, just the other day I was watching some movie with my sons. I forget if it was like The Running Man or Daybreakers or something. And, of course, it's set in 2019. And it was only made like 20 years ago, right? And it's funny when you think about, oh, people thought, you know, 20 years ago we'd be living in a world where, you know, we lived on Mars or everybody's a yeah. vampire. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. they thought this kind of, like, huge change would happen. And, you know, you look at technology and how pronounced it is in everybody's life, and uh, it's hard to believe there was ever a time when, you know, in, in my life, in my adult lifetime, where we didn't have cell phones, where we didn't, you know, we weren't able yeah. to track uh, everything we did on cell phones, where right. our information wasn't, you know, both accessible and exposed everywhere the way it is now. And and at the risk of sounding hyperbolic or cheesy, mm-hmm. uh That's why I keep writing about it. That's why I'm still as enthusiastic about it as I was 26 years ago because there's always some new wrinkle. There's always some new story. And honestly, and I probably will sort of uh, revisit this during our our talk today, but, you know, I feel like if anybody says, oh, that's boring or that – there is no, there is no story I have written in 26 years that I found boring. I think there's an interesting aspect to every piece of the technology evolution that we've seen, um, and it might not be obvious, but it's there. And uh, so anyway, that's what keeps me going. I love that. So you mentioned kind of um, how nothing is, nothing is boring and things are always evolving and changing. There's always fascinating things to, to write about. I know we've seen a huge emergence of, you know, AI and even like mm-hmm. things like behavioral biometrics, things like that. Um, so what do you expect kind of in, in 2019 to be one of the more pivotal trends and storylines to come about? Well, it's funny. I was talking with my husband about this. He's actually um – He's actually a, a counselor. He's a, a marriage and family therapist. But, you know, we, we kind of cross over into each other's worlds. I love to talk about his business, and he loves to talk about mine. So we were talking about this over breakfast. And, uh, cause that's I actually about, funny. Um, that's funny. My what? husband's a counselor. My husband's a counselor, too. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> I had to throw that in there. <laughs> it's funny. You know, um, we, we talk about our, 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 you know, mutual businesses a lot. And, um, you know, uh, I think – one of the areas that I've seen that uh, it's it's very general, but the impact of privacy legislation in the U.S. and overseas. So a lot of people have talked about GDPR, which uh, came into effect last May in uh, the EU, and uh, how businesses uh, will pay a heavy price for um, exposing or allowing to be exposed uh, uh, personal data from their customers or you know uh, people that uh, they uh, have any kind of business with uh, similarly privacy legislation has come into effect in California and California right. is something of a pace setter for the US so other people are expecting more privacy legislation uh, in other US states or federally now I find it interesting because Sometimes privacy is seen as going hand-in-hand with cybersecurity, but sometimes it can work, uh, it can fly in the face of cybersecurity. For example, um, you know, 
if if you know more about somebody, you know, are you protecting them or are you opening them up to exposure? Do you know what I'm saying? So um, I think the impact this could have both on uh, financial companies, which, of course, have a lot of information, not just oh, yeah. banking sure account information, but personal information, and increasingly want more information about their customers or prospects, as well as just about any company you deal with. I mean, it always has fascinated me. I, I can remember back when we used to go to Blockbuster, remember those days before streaming? Um, when yeah. you would go to Blockbuster or some company and they would ask you for your social security number. And think about how many companies you deal with on a daily basis, not just your medical provider, not just your bank, but they have your social security number. Oh, yeah, and they know gyms, other anywhere. Information. Yeah. yeah. So uh, privacy legislation, um, I would say the impact of the nation state mm -hmm. as well as more sophisticated cyber criminal syndicates on mm -hmm. uh, both cybercrime and cyber espionage. Um, at the risk of letting this get political, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about were the 2016 or possibly 2018 elections sure. impacted or overtaken mm -hmm. by um, some kind of cyber influence or online influence. Yeah. And I know too, Karen, that you were looking at, I know you, I read some of your stories on that. Um, Right, and it's, it's kind of a delicate topic because when you talk to, when I've talked to, I'll just say from my past experience, sure. when I've talked to a lot of information security experts, there's no doubt in their mind that there was some, you know, whether or not you believe, you know, who won the election or not, you know, that there was definitely some influence asserted online and through cyber mechanisms or through voting mechanisms. Um, you know, th there's definitely that issue. But, but uh, you know, you look at Stuxnet, you look at, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of the other malware that's being created. By and large, there's usually some kind of nation state or uh, cybercrime syndicate component. It's, it's, we are long past the days where it's some, you know, teenage kid who looks like DJ right. Qualls sitting in his mother's <laughs> basement, yeah. you know, in a hoodie, you know, typing furiously on a keyboard with three screens uh -huh. in front of him. No, this is big business. This is, you know, on a national level, and it's, it's going to continue to be. And um, and then of course you mentioned Christine um, the impact of AI yeah. the you know myriad impact of not just IoT but um, uh, operational like I mean I saw fascinating I'm sorry I'm kind of if I'm kind of uh, going off on a tangent here but no this uh, is great <laughs> uh, you know um, one of the or uh, one of the more a couple of the more fascinating presentations I remember seeing at either Black Hat or RSA a couple years ago was a presenter from John Deere, right? You don't necessarily think about farm equipment and, you know, information security, but talking about, like, how these big, you know, uh, earth mover machines and tractors, they are using IoT technology. They're using, um, you know, Internet-based technology. What if, if somebody hijacked you know, an earth mover that's the size of, you know, a school bus, that could have a physical impact. You know, the yeah, impact sure of, and I've written mm -hmm. about this before, hijacking um, medical equipment. It oh, sounds yeah, like the stuff of science fiction, but it's 
you know, becoming more, it's becoming more possible. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I really think people are going to start thinking and being more concerned about that, especially as we're seeing more IP enabled equipment, appliances, you know, more of this in our everyday life. So that's just a touch of it. But I I think all of those issues are going to be um, become heightened in the next year or two. Yeah. Yeah, certainly will. And it's funny to hear you say all these things because, you know, when you were talking about writing 23 years ago in the 90s, how, you know, talking about banking through landlines and all that stuff and how it's evolved to hacking, you know, John Deere tractors. It's really fascinating how the world has evolved. And I'm curious to see what will happen in, you know, another 23 years and how that will change. Um, Right. I actually um, just kind of on that tangent, um, I I had the good fortune to write a story for SC magazine on um, it was it was their 30th anniversary of SC. And the, I think I may have even contacted you about this, and you may have uh, connected me with a, a customer too. But, um, uh, and it was also 30 years of the mainstream internet, and uh, you know, just talking to people who are industry experts who have been following this industry, who have been instrumental in this industry for 25, 30 years. And, you know, by and large, even the most intelligent of them had to admit they couldn't see how profound the changes would be. And it was funny trying to speculate ahead, excuse me, what do you think will be the changes? And most of them were were reticent to even comment on what they see happening in the next five to ten years, never mind Mm -hmm. 30 years from now. Like, could Mm -hmm. we even predict what's going to happen. I mean, we're already, I, I, some days I look around and I feel like I'm living in minority report or you know, <laughs> another Philip K. Dick story of some kind, you know? So, yeah, yeah no, definitely. Um, and then just thinking about, you know, your role and contributing to, you know, some of the larger, more higher visibility tech publications like SD Magazine, like CSO, how do you, and as for our listeners, like how do you go about, um, you know, finding your sources and digging into these topics? What's sort of your process? Okay, well, so um, there's a couple of things. So I would say probably 50 to 70 percent of the stories I write are um, assigned to me by editors. The other ones, I, you know, I might pitch stories to editors and they accept or, you know, they accept them and, you know, so... Um, but but after that, after I've either pitched a story or been assigned a story, the process is pretty similar, which is I'll do what I call a lot of secondary research. So I basically go online and see what else has been written about it, because I don't really want to trammel the same territory uh, that other articles, other publications have said before, but I do want to be aware of what uh, other hot button issues have have been ta- pertain to a certain issue. Let's say I'm writing about. Um, oh, let me think of a good one. Um, cloud security for small banks. You know sure. what has been written before. Uh, what what are the what are the hot button issues? Well, small banks don't have uh, as deep a pocket as uh, a big bank. Sure, so it's going to be constraints, all that stuff. Yeah. I try to think through what are the pertinent issues for the readers in particular that are going to be reading those stories. So, so they're going to think in terms of, well, I don't have the budget of a Citibank or a Bank of America. You know, how do I secure my uh, cloud data and my cloud networks with, um, you know, with, with different attitudes in mind? Um, and from there, I usually try to do two things. I usually try to 
if it if if the editor has not given me an abstract, and usually they don't, but um, I try to create an abstract. And I think you know I've sent these to you in the past, Christine. Um, I, I find it it. Um, it facilitates a faster turnaround if I can just send a three to five sentence abstract. This is the nut of the story that I'm writing. I try not to incorporate in the abstract too much. I think this is going to be what's going to be said. Just just a general. Mm-hmm. These are the you know this is what uh, appears to be the situation, and these are the salient points I want to cover. And then I try to uh, formulate three to five guideline questions. And again, I underscore the word guideline. So I try to be open to the idea that my, based on my secondary research, maybe even based on a couple of preliminary interviews, the story may go off in a different way. I may get a lot of feedback that's not what I anticipated, and I try to stay open to that. Right. Um, you know, sometimes I'll have, it's funny, I'll have uh, interviewees or sources who say, well, I know you've heard thus and such, but I disagree, and here's why. I love that. I don't mind that at all. I know sometimes sources or, or uh Publicists will say, oh, you know, they're, they're not going to tell you what you thought you would hear. And, and that's great because I, I want to have, oh, I don't want to have, but if there's that tension in a story of, mm-hmm. well, some people believe this and some people believe that, I think that, in fact, makes for a more informative story. Um, I always try to, again, because I'm writing for an executive audience, incorporate some kind of prescriptive. So going back to the cloud security example, if I was writing, let's say, for Independent Banker, which it's in my mind because I just did for uh, um, about uh, securing cloud security, um, uh, I'm sorry, securing uh, cloud networks and data if you're a small bank, the final section of the story or the sidebar is always going to be about, okay, what are some go-to best practices mm-hmm. that you should do, that you should consider um, as a person doing this? Sure, like um, an actionable Actionable, actionable resource. And again, I don't kid myself that every aspect of what I'm saying is something that is going to be appropriate to every reader, but as long as it gives them something useful, um, you know, I think that's that's helpful. Um, oh, and one more thing. I love specific examples. I understand mm-hmm. that um, my sources, uh, vendors especially, they can't always name this is a customer we worked with, this is a problem they had. They can't always, as the saying goes, fully open the kimono and expose, you know, what has happened or what is going on. But any kind of specificity that can be offered, any kind of anecdotes about this is a common problem we've seen, this is how our customers or how we worked on it, mitigated risk, et cetera, is great because Mm -hmm. it sort of gives a realistic guideline for readers about what they can do, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Those real-world examples and use cases really make a difference, I think. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Awesome. Cool, and then I think I just have one more question for you, Karen. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, Black Hat RSA. Are trade shows um, important for you to attend? Do you find those useful um, regularly or 
every so often. Yes. Um, so I kind of have uh, over, you know, 20 plus years. I feel the gray yeah. hairs every time I say <laughs> for a quarter of a century. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I I like, I don't like going, I mean, I have friends who are road warriors who go, sure. I mean, and, and some of them are, are VCs or they, they just, they have to be going to these conferences all the time. Personally, I would never get anything done if I was always out of the office, if mm-hmm. I was always at a conference, and and uh, and my dogs would hate me, and my kids would hate me. So and the cat, <laughs> so try, the cat's patient, but it might. <laughs> but yeah. um, I try to go to at least uh, on the information security side. I try to go to RSA or Black Hat at least once a year. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I've taken my teenage sons to Black Hat. It's really. They have they have uh, Kevin Mitnick's. Have you ever seen Kevin Mitnick's card? It's like a lockpick set. No. They both have that card in their oh, wallet. Cool. It's hilarious. Um, funny. I think it's I think it's bragging rights for them. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I, I like to go to uh, at least one of those. I've gone sometimes to both those in the year. I think this year I probably won't go to RSA, but I will go to mm-hmm. Black Hat. I try to go to Money 2020 oh, yeah, or the other big fintech conferences. Um, and then um, I sometimes go to, like, uh, a couple of the smaller conferences, the vendor conferences. Like, I went to um, the uh, – I don't know if it's okay to name names, but uh, the, the SAS uh, Data mm-hmm. Analytics Conference – because sure. data analytics, you, you mentioned behavioral analytics. Uh, data mm-hmm. analytics was coming up a lot on my karma wheel, as I say. Um, uh, and uh, SAS is uh, is a big provider for uh, financial and, and another industry, so I, I, I had an invitation there and went there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, it's it's good to go to the big conferences because everybody's there. And if I if I want to see somebody face to face, or if I want to see uh, companies that have just had an acquisition or uh, maybe the emerging companies, it, it's a great place to sort of, you know, get to see all that in one fell swoop in, in a two- to three-day period. Sure, also, yeah, okay. for me, as a freelancer, I mean, I, I try to keep in touch with colleagues but via email, via social media, people I've worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, people I connect with to, you know, talk about what we're writing about. I try to stay on top of what uh, other colleagues are writing about um, so I keep my mind fresh. But there's nothing that replaces being at a conference face-to-face, even in this, you know, ironically, even in this Internet age, you know, there's nothing that replaces face-to-face communication and uh Seeing some of the present, hearing some of the presentations, seeing some of the presentations, meeting some of the speakers, mm-hmm. I always come back from all of these conferences with quite literally fifty to hundred new ideas. Now, oh, I, I bet, yeah. Whether I whether I can sell those pitches, whether <laughs> the clients I have have the budget to you know to uh, to buy those pitches is a question. But um, you right. know, it, it really um, ignites my thinking about. A topic, um, and and uh, the specific elements of a topic. Maybe something I hadn't thought about before. Um, mm-hmm. The the uh, the impact of for what we were talking about before, industrial IoT or something like that. That may not be something I cover as much on a day to day basis. 
I get exposed to, and I mm-hmm. and I find sources who are very knowledgeable about that topic. So I think those are important. Mm-hmm. I would say roughly I go to probably half a dozen uh, industry conferences a month. Um, in a perfect world, it would be nice maybe to go to more, but it, it just you know if. It, for me, personally and professionally, that's a good balance right now. Yeah, um, yeah and it's, so, it's interesting. It really brings it everything to life. You know, you'll read about things. You'll talk to people on the phone. But when you really see it all in person and all, all of these practitioners and, mm-hmm. and vendors coming together, it really puts things into perspective, which is, which is fascinating. Yeah, um, exactly. And, I mean, it, yeah. it really does just, I mean, for me, probably the biggest value is it really ignites my thinking. And that's on, on many levels, just hearing people talk about it, sometimes seeing the live presentations on the expo floor, obviously going to some of the speaker sessions, uh, meeting with people. I mean, all of it. I mean, I, it's funny when, uh, when I've just FYI, when I've taken my sons to, I, I took them each uh, different years to Black Hat, and uh, I said, just be prepared. It's not all fun and games. You know, <laughs> it is a 16-hour day, and they're both mm-hmm. like boys, and they were exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I bet uh, it's, it, but I mean, not just physically. It's just mentally. You're, you're just. It's, it's overwhelming. It's a lot of information. It's very yeah. stimulating. It's mm-hmm. very fascinating. So I, I, I love that aspect of it, but I try not to overdo it because it would be very easy to become overwhelmed or almost oversaturated, if you will. Oh, a hundred percent true. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Well, Karen, this has been so fun talking to you. I love, um, you know, you have such a vast experience and you're so passionate and you make every story really interesting, like you said. None of your stories have been boring and we definitely agree with that. We love um, always keeping up on your articles and everything. Well, that's that's good. I, I always feel like, you know, I mean, I know this is cheesy, but my mom always said to me, you know, boring people get bored. And I always sort of feel <laughs> like, that. you know, if, if I can't find something interesting and even the wonkiest, nerdiest, nichest, you know, core banking story, then I'm not doing my job. Right. And I should, I, should, make it I should hang it up and, I don't know, be a dog trainer or something. <laughs> I, I can't, uh, you know, I, I, I really, and I, and I do get passionate about it. And mm-hmm. it really helps, too, uh, and, I, and I think this is a credit to you guys and, and your, uh, your clients, that I, I get to talk to a lot of people who are truly passionate about what they do, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's hard not to be passionate and excited about um, even even somewhat negative things that happen in the industry, even the compromise of security, when there are people out there who are really passionate about uh, trying to mitigate risk, about, about uh, protecting people's information. Um, Again, I know it sounds corny, but it's 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 really it's it really keeps me going. It makes me happy to I wake love up. That. But yeah, that's so that's. nice. I love that so much. All right, thanks, Karen, for coming on. This has been the latest episode of Inside the Media Minds. Please stay tuned um, and follow us on Twitter at Media Minds Show. Subscribe on iTunes and rate and review. Thanks, everyone.